Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for This Week in Tech is provided by Winamp for Android, the ultimate media player for your desktop and Android device, featuring wireless sync. Download it free at winamp.com slash Android. Video bandwidth for Twit is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Twit, This Week in Tech, episode 289, recorded February 20th, 2011. Ducks must wear pants. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free 14-day trial, go to squarespace.com slash twit. And by GoToMyPC. For those of us who work around the clock, access your files and applications around the clock, too, with GoToMyPC. For your free 30-day trial, visit GoToMyPC.com slash twit. And by Audible.com. Sign up for the Platinum Plan and get two free books. Go to Audible.com slash twit2 and follow Audible on Twitter. User ID, Audible underscore com. It's time for This Week in Tech. I'm Tom Merritt filling in for one last time for Leo Laporte, who's been on vacation these past three weeks. He will be back next week on This Week in Tech. In fact, on the live uh, Twit feed, and if you follow the other podcasts, he'll be back starting Tuesday uh, for shows like Mac Break Weekly and Nut at Night. Uh, but I'm very happy to be filling in one last time with a great panel of guests. Joining me from CNN, their tech reporter, Mark Million, is back on the show. This is, this is not the first time we've had you on Twit since you started at CNN, is it? Uh, no, I've been on once before. Oh, wait, Jay, am I supposed to be doing the English accent since we're, we're switching? Well, yes, uh, we should explain. We are going to have, have an accent swap later in the show. Patrick Beja from France, who does La Rendezvous Tech, as well as Phileas Club and several other podcasts, is joining us. Uh, Hello. Be, be thinking about what accent you would like to uh, pretend to have later in the show, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm going to try and do the French one, probably, because I'm, I'm really crap at You're doing the other ones. really good at the French accent, I've noticed. Um, <laughs> a man who's very good at the English accent, Nate Langson of Wired.co.uk, the editor of Wired.co.uk. Uh, welcome back to the show, Nate. Thank you. Well, it's, my, it's actually my first time on This Week in Tech. So oh, right. No You've, I've, been, I've done so many shows with you, I didn't realize you I actually know. hadn't been on Twit. Welcome to Twit. Thank you. Yeah, my, uh, my, my Twit virginity is no more. I'm very uh, pleased. And you'll never get it back. <laughs> <laughs> so many bad jokes we could do with that line of... Uh... And why not? It's my last time filling in with Leo. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, you might as well just blow it to the water right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, as I've been doing the past couple of weeks, I want to start with a look at the week ahead. Not nearly as much going on this coming week uh, as, as have been going on in the past few weeks, but a couple of things to note. Uh, this Thursday... February 24th, there is a ruling expected in the Julian Assange extradition hearings. This has been happening in your backyard, Nate. Yeah, it has. And um, I, he, it, I think he's been under house arrest now for several weeks, which can't be, can't be any fun. Um, but he's at I'm some sure posh, looking- like, lord's house or something, isn't he? Yeah, it's somewhere in the south, I think. I'm not entirely sure where. Um, but yeah, I think this is, I mean, whether or not this will be the end of everything is, is another matter. But, you know, the hearing is, will be the start of whatever's to come, I suppose. Yeah, that, well, this is the uh, this is the ruling that's going to be handed down whether he gets extradited or not. I, d- I don't know if there's an appeals process after that uh, or not. I assume there might be. Saturday, there, there, oh, there is. 
No, I'm, I was just going to say it. There probably is, but I've heard um, a lot of people say that if he gets extradited to Sweden, then it's open season for extradition re requests to the U.S. But I've heard on other people say that they could already ask uh, for extradition from the U.K. So I don't know why everyone is blowing this, you know, uh, yeah. possibly out of proportion. But I think I think what it is is. <sighs> I think it's like Sweden gets first dibs, if I understand it correctly. In other words, they could, they, America could try to extradite Julian Assange from the UK, absolutely. Uh, but I think maybe uh, because Sweden has this sexual assault case that predates the WikiLeaks case, uh, that they, they get first crack at it. And I've heard some people theorize that it's easier to extradite someone from Sweden than it is from the United Kingdom. I don't know if that's actually true or not. Maybe. So I don't I, think the U.S. would have any trouble getting somebody from, from England. If they I really wanted to. Relations no. are pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Saturday, February 26th. That's almost a week from this recording. Nintendo 3DS hits Japan. It's not coming uh, to the U.S. until a little bit later in March. Uh, but it'll be the, the first big release of the 3D gaming console. I actually like it. Do you, do you, guys, do you guys have an opinion on the 3DS? I'm excited to see what it looks like. Um, not sure I'm going to be purchasing one for myself, but I'm sure going to check out the ones that my friends are going to buy. Oh, you haven't seen it yet? I was playing with it at E3. It's really cool. I mean, okay, I, stop I, posting, Mr. CNN. <laughs> I, I'm not sold on 3D in you know pretty much any format. 3D movies, TV, all that stuff seems pretty stupid to me, but this is actually really cool. It works well. You don't have to worry about the glasses. I was actually really impressed by how well it works. Um, yeah, and then we'll have this works. in phone soon enough, too. So uh, It probably works best on a, on a portable device because oh, you know, yeah, for sure. much better than a, a TV or even in the cinemas because you're the only one looking at it and it's really a one-to-one -one experience. So I, I wouldn't you know, um, consider it a off the uh, idea to be a bad thing to begin with, even if you're not sold on the 3D experience in general and other uh, devices. Yeah, I think you're right, Patrick. It's it's sort of the expectations are set to the right level for lenticular 3D to work in the Nintendo situation. What's, what's interesting to me is the reaction to the LG Optimus 3D phone was very below par. It was very uh, negative might be too strong, but people didn't really love it. And I think it's because in a phone, you're wondering, well, what do I need this for? And, and 3D movies in lenticular actually don't work all that well. Uh, 3D videos, home videos in 3D, I guess that's sort of interesting. Whereas 3DS, stuff that looks really good in 3D is often cartoonish. Video games are perfect for that. And it's the right size of a screen. And like you say, it's one-to-one. -one. So I, I do think that's one of the advantages 3DS has. It seemed like LG was was kind of pushing gaming. I mean, those demo units in Barcelona mm -hmm. um, had had demo games on them. They only had three of them, and I think people are kind of just doubting, like, okay, well, if you're pu pushing this as a game system, is LG really the company that can draw developers who are going to make 3D games specifically for the Optimus? Yeah, and nobody got doubts that Nintendo will be pushing out plenty of games that will be worthwhile. Right. Sunday, a week from today, February 27th, uh, probably the m most minor of our week ahead announcements. New, new WiMAX MiFi comes to Sprint. I'm excited about this because I'm a big fan of the MiFi. I think it works great. The times that it doesn't work is when 3G service doesn't work that well or isn't enough for what you need it to do. Uh, so a WiMAX MiFi is, is excellent. There is also a MiFi coming down the pike from LTE, for, for LTE. But, of course, you guys in the U.K. and, and France, you, you 
you've got like bandwidth coming out of your ears, right? <laughs> Not mobile though. Not mobile. We we still don't really have four G in the UK. We're still on three point five G. No one's really rolling out anything. You guys with Sprint and things like that are, are actually way ahead of what we've got, uh, at least in the UK. I'm not sure about France, but... Um, we don't really have 4G at all. I mean, I think the, the uh, providers have been falling behind a little bit on that, but the 3G networks are, are pretty strong already. So uh, I don't think... And no one really uses the, uh, you know, MiFi type devices. They do exist, but they're not in a huge success. Uh, I think the 3G coverage is enough to begin with, and you know, uh, th- that's that's it's going to be a while before the WiMAX and 4G things arrive here, and we don't really feel like we need them right now. Vodafone has 50 megabit per second LTE in Germany. Well, I'd love to have that too, but eh, <laughs> we're good to, for now. Move to Germany. <laughs> oh, it's also, you know, the, the WiMAX and LTE and 4G and which one is what. And I'd rather let all of you guys sort of, you know, test it out. And once it's settled down, it, we can bring it in and, and get everything covered in a year. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be easier that way, probably. All right, let's get into uh, the news of the week. Uh, one of the big stories this past week was the idea that Apple might be facing antitrust over its announcement earlier in the week of its subscription program for apps. Uh, now, let me dis- explain what the subscription program was, and then we'll talk about why people are, are so upset about it. Uh, essentially, they said, all we require is that if you offer a subscription outside, that you offer the same subscription inside the app. Because if Apple brings the customer to you, Apple gets their 30% cut. If you bring the customer to the app from outside, you get to keep all your money. And that seems reasonable, doesn't it? To that, I say that if I recommend one of my family members buy a Mac computer, then Apple gives me 30% of that sale. Is that fair? <laughs> I think that's perfectly fair, Mark. All right, done. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, so the, I, I think what's really causing the issue here is not that Apple takes 30% from a subscriber within the app. I, th- I think most people are probably okay with that. What it, What it is is that they are putting restrictions on what you can do outside the app. So if you offer subscriptions for your app, you have to use the in-app subscription model. You don't have a choice. And you have to offer it at the same or less price of any subscription you offer outside. Those are the two points that people are starting to to chafe at and say, well, wait a minute. It's one thing to say I can use your in-app subscription and I have to give you a cut. That's fine. But what if I don't want to do that? And then Apple says, well, then you can't have the app in the store. Or what well, if I is, is yeah go ahead sorry well the the problem is is that Apple won't let you sell your subscription in the store for any more than it costs outside of the store so theoretically you could say as a publisher we want to just sell it for thirty percent more in the App Store so at least when Apple takes its thirty percent cut you still get the same amount but the problem is is that you have to sell it for the same or less which means that. You sell it in the app store for the same price you sell it outside, but you then lose an additional 30%. And I think that at least in the UK or in Europe, that's before tax. So if you're then taxed on top of that 20% VAT in the UK, potentially you're losing 50% of the subscription of your revenue that you wouldn't lose if you were just selling outside of the app. Amazon was it- doing this for their newspapers. They were, allowing, they were uh, taking 70%. Uh, of the subscriptions and then they changed it to meet apple's 30 percent. but there were never any restrictions on what other kinds of digital subscriptions you could sell elsewhere certainly it seems that like 
Apple is doing things a little bit, you know, they're doing it squarely, like do it like this and that's it. Uh, but I also think that a lot of people are looking at this. Uh, first of all, we should separate that uh, they want to apply this to all subscriptions on the App Store. And I think with the, the magazines and newspapers, it might be justified because basically they are bringing your product to the um, consumers in the same way that you would do it. For example, in France, we have newsstands and stuff like that. So they take all of the uh, distribution uh, efforts on their end, kind of. For other uh, media like um, video, DVDs and what Netflix is doing, for example, it's a little bit more objectionable because Netflix is already distributing content from other people. So they're sort of between two difficult positions, you know, the content providers and the distribution channel of Apple. So that's two things that you should probably uh, differentiate. But on the news, news, uh, newspaper and magazines, um, the thing is, a lot of these uh, companies are saying you're taking 30% of our existing subscri subscriber base, which I can see why they would uh, understand it like this, but I'm certain that everyone is forgetting that a lot of people are probably going to be brought to subscribing to these newspapers because it's so simple and they already have the Apple account. It's going to be a one-click thing. You know, a lot of people, I believe, are going to actually become subscribers because of Apple's system. And does that, you know, is it 30% that they would deserve for this? 20%, 40%? I don't know. But they certainly deserve something. You know, and and it seems with the whole conversation, the way it's going, a lot of people are saying Apple doesn't really have anything to say about this, which I think is a little harsh. The U.S. Justice Department and the Federal Trade Commission are apparently looking into the subscription plan, according to sources who were speaking to The Wall Street Journal this week. That doesn't mean they're going to do an investigation. In fact, with this much rhetoric out there about this platform, it would be surprising if they didn't look into it and see if there's any antitrust situation there. But I, I, I've had a few arguments with people about this. I don't think it's an antitrust situation because there is competition. You can go and publish your apps on, on Android, and Android has got a growing market share. But if you look at ta the tablet space alone, tablets are 80% Apple. So they, may have a, they might have a temporary monopoly. A, a monopoly for the next, what, like two months? It, yeah, exactly. You know, this year you're going to be able to go to HP or RIM or Google. Uh, and antitrust is like out the window. Um, a, a lot of these reports, like as you mentioned, Tom, are coming from the Wall Street Journal, which has um, an obvious vested interest in this, considering that they are locked into a subscription uh, model and they advertise their iPad app on bus stops. So um, they, they don't want to have to pay 30% to Apple in order to continue uh, the business that they've set out already. But antitrust is, is sort of a ridiculous claim that you can, you can just go to any other tablet maker that's going to be coming out in the next few months. And, you know, Apple is just another one of those. But I think the problem here as well is that the subscriptions isn't just affecting tablets. This is affecting any kind of subscription, be it, you know, music and, and things like that as well. And that isn't limiting it to tablets. It can be for, for you know, any iOS device, basically. And I think that when you look at all app stores that can be used um, on any platform, Apple, at least in the Europe, I know, is about 
I think it's about 45%. There was a recent estimation of how much of the App Store market share Apple has within Europe, which doesn't meet the kind of baseline 50% uh, threshold that the European Commission would need in order to consider it a a dominant position. There's so much other competition as well. But I think the real problem as well here is that while there are other app stores, there is only one app store that you can use on an iPad or on an iPhone or an iPod Touch. You know, so if you want to be on any of those millions of devices, you have to use the app store. There is no competition there. Well, that's that's not absolutely true. You could make an HTML5 site that would be available through Safari. Yeah, but it's not, it's not an app in the same way. You know, it doesn't offer exactly the same functionality. Um, it's, it's when you're looking at app stores with this kind of, you know, um, centralized hosting hub, um, you know, centrally hosted. I would like someone to explain to me how what Apple is doing is different from what Sony or Nintendo or Microsoft is doing with their consoles. It's always the same story. They're at least as restrictive, if not more, with these systems, I, I think, I, think I, can ex- I can explain what's different here is if Xbox required you to sell any game inside the Xbox store for exactly the same price outside of the Xbox store, you would see game companies chafing at that. So if, if they want to provide a downloadable version on Microsoft, they would have to charge exactly the same amount for a downloadable version on Steam, on the PS3, and they want to be able to differentiate prices based on different markets. I think that's where Apple is causing the problem is by saying we have to have the same price. If they were saying if you're, if you're in our app and you're selling subscriptions, you have to use our in-app subscription service, I don't think anybody would have a problem with it, even with the 30% cut. It's the, it's the idea that you can't link out. We didn't even mention that. You can't link out to your own subscription service. You have to to keep them in the app subscription model, and you can't offer a cheaper version if you go direct. So something like Netflix, which is rumored to be in a, getting an exemption from this policy, well, I don't know if that's true or not, but something like Netflix couldn't link out to their website from their app. They would have to sell subscriptions to Netflix through the app when you're in the app. Yeah, that's that's definitely Netflix is definitely a, a, another can of worms, you know, because it brings in every single media, um, you know, distribution service, which is sort of different. But um, I don't know. I think in the end, a lot of people are going to be making a lot of money off of this because the system, you know, the app store does work. People do go there and they do spend a lot of money that they wouldn't have spent anywhere, you know, otherwise. Tell me about so, it. Um, yeah. I just did my so taxes. I, it's it's pretty <laughs> standard to, to you know to, to pay a finder's fee for for you know these sort of services. So, do you think it would work if Apple basically if you're selling your subscription in the store for the same price that you sell it out of the store? What if you then paid Apple thirty percent on top of that as effectively a finder's fee? That would mean that to App Store customers, you're charging people the same as a print subscription or a whatever subscription we're talking about, but Apple still gets its 30% uh, cut, even though you're paying it. And you're effectively then just paying Apple for the custom. How is it different? Uh, It's different because, um, well, I guess it's not different. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I think I was missing something there. Yeah. Because you just end up missing something as well. Yeah, it's just, it's there might be some sort of accounting magic in there, what you're talking about, but... it, it sounds like you just end up paying them their amount. Now, Google uh, came out with their subscription plan the day after Apple's. Uh, Eric Schmidt presented the OnePass system at a uh, Berlin announcement. 
Publishers set their own prices and terms for their digital content. Uh, they can main direct, maintain direct relationships with their customers, so you don't have to go through the Google subscription system. With Apple, all of the customer information remains with Apple. Uh, Which is a huge deal, too. Yeah, yeah, that's a goldmine of information. Existing print subscribers can get free access if they want and single sign-on across all platforms. So whoever's using this Google OnePass system, uh, you can sign in with your Google ID, whether you're on the web or on an app or wherever you are. The timing of this launch was great because, you know, immediately after this, I had an interview scheduled with Sony Network exec and I asked him, what do you think of this new Apple strategy? Does that affect curiosity or it obviously affects the Sony e-reader? And he's his quote was, it doesn't seem like a win-win formula. It seems like a great opportunity for the Android marketplace. And for Google to come out with this, you know, the very next day after Apple uh, creates this huge dust up is, you know, kudos to them. It's good timing. And um, I think we'll probably continue to see Google pick up the pieces um, in circumstances where uh, Apple creates these types of problems. So, yeah, Google uh, is uh, only take only taking 10 percent of any subscription sold through there. So they're they're effectively undercutting Apple and making it cheaper. That undermines the antitrust case, in, in my opinion, because you've got competition not only in platforms, but now also in subscription services. And, and, and theoretically, the OnePass system could be used on iOS if Apple would allow part, it. The best is that line at the bottom of the sign-up page on Google sign-up page. It says, it also offers payments in mobile apps in instances where the mobile OS terms permit transactions to take place outside of the app market. Right. Basically, <laughs> dig right at Apple. <laughs> Um, you know, I really love Google. I mean, I, I live in uh, Gmail and uh, Google Docs, and I love the company and the services. But to be completely honest, I'm not certain that Android Android is a great system. I'm not sure a lot of people are spending a lot of money on the Android market. Um, the, the, the Something about the way they do things is not as conducive to monetary transaction somehow and it works on the ios and not as much on the android system so maybe it's going to change with tablets maybe you know gingerbread is going to change everything and maybe that google one pass is going to work out fantastically i'm not certain it will so i don't know I'm not convinced, I guess. Well, one thing Apple says they're always doing is making it easy for the customer. So having one login, good for the customer. Having Apple tightly control the information they share with third parties, good for the customer. Uh, what Google's trying to be doing here is good for the publisher. Can that end up being good for the customer by creating a, a cheaper and more expanded playing field? Uh, is the question. I mean, is, is OnePass the savior of, of Android? Somehow? Crickets. No, that would be a no. <laughs> it's a bit of a stretch. I, I think this dust-up will probably go away pretty soon uh, with Apple. Uh, I think, you know, the publishers will just either take it as it is or Apple will back down as it's done um, in in past circumstances where they've drawn scrutiny um, with the App Store. You know, they, they had that uh, sort of targeting of Adobe's software for creating apps, and then they backed down on that, and uh, they, they took a stance against competing ad services like, uh, like Google's AdMob, and they backed down on that. So we'll either see Apple, you know, make amends, or publishers will just be like, 
fine, we'll take a hit with our iPad app, or we won't do an iPad app, and we'll also have an Android app and a a uh, HP app and a BlackBerry app. So I, I yeah, don't think uh, OnePass will be a huge savior. It certainly looks like Apple is trying to ask too much to go in with a lot in order to get, you know, maybe less, but more than they would have gotten if they went with a reasonable offer to begin with. I don't think this is the end of that story. No, and, and Mark, you make a really good point. They've, we've had this rhetoric before. Apple won't allow Flash and therefore, you know, everyone's going to move to Android because Android will have Flash. Apple is, you know, going to be hard on the developers and not allow them to compile code. So all the developers are going to move to Android. Apple <laughs> does know what they're doing. These, these things crop up, and they end up never being nearly as bad as everyone thinks they are. And, and like you said, Apple often retra- retreats. I think they know that they can put this out here and figure out just how far they can get, and they retreat just enough to stop anything disastrous from happening. They're, they're not going to shoot themselves in the foot over this stuff. They're, they're maximizing their profit. Twitter, which is probably good for Apple. Which is it's always good for Apple, yeah. Uh, Twitter is also trying to figure out how to maximize its profit in lots of different <laughs> ways. We have a couple of stories here. One, uh, where they released a YouTube video. It's not really a secret video, but you have to get the direct link to it. You can't just find it by searching, uh, which recommends how to advertise on Twitter uh, to get the most out of your advertisements. But then at the same time, they're also starting to go after third-party apps uh, who they've had pretty much liberal relationships with the pat in the past when Twitter was small because the apps helped them build. Uh, now Twitter uh, has briefly banned Uber Twitter and Twidroid for violating policies. I hear they've, they've literally just uh, lifted the restriction like a matter of minutes ago. I saw a tweet pop up that it's been, it's been lifted and that they're back in the stores or are about to be back in the stores. But I think there were a number of issues with this, um, one of which was um, that there, was, there were privacy concerns uh, surrounding direct messages over 140 characters in length, which I assume means that um, you could send these longer messages and they were under the guise of Twitter but weren't subject to the same privacy uh, guarantees or something. And... Uh, and I forget what the other one was. I'm trying to find the story here. Um, it was a. I think a it was about how they handled the, ads. Uh, it was like a, oh, and the, yeah, yeah, the internet yeah. ads wasn't it? referrals. Yeah, they were yeah. changing the content of users' tweets in order to make more money because they could they could sell ads off of particular words. And Uber Media, who's the company that owns Uber Twitter and Twitteroid, first of all, they changed the name to uh, of Uber Twitter to Uber Social. So there was a trademark uh, issue there also. But they reacted really, really fast. And of course, you know, they make their whole business on Twitter. So they have to be in good standing with them. But I'm wondering if it's not just one of those things where Twitter was actually um, had the, the, the right the right to do it, I guess. You know, it was a, a, a valid a valid concern that they had. And Uber Social just did it, corrected the issue straight away. And we sort of all started talking about it, about it because it's it sounds, it looks like one other instance of instance of uh, Twitter sort of, you know, messing with the company that, that made them great when it's actually not that. It's really an issue of API and trademark and uh, security concerns. I don't know if, it, if we're not making a bigger deal of it than it actually is. 
Yeah, Twitter said that they suspend hundreds of apps on a daily basis, but they wanted to call these out because they had such high user volumes. They actually didn't want people to be confused when the app stopped working briefly. But you don't think they could have figured this out behind the scenes without causing such a stir? Probably, yeah. You have to believe that. Well, you know, I saw I saw an interview with that Uber Twitter CEO who said this totally caught him off guard. So um, you can't be totally sure that they didn't go to them um, first. But it seems like, you know, the, the proper business ethics would be to go to the company and say, hey, can you change your name and can you take out these ads? Um, but who knows what happened behind the scenes there? I guess if this is the policy they have for smaller apps, then it's got to be the policy for the bigger apps. They, they're just trying to be... Equinomia, something like that, something equal. <laughs> I think the word you're looking for is equinomian. That's a very uh, well-known ancient uh, Latin word. Ah, verite. Uh, the, and then in this in this other story about the video uh, telling you how to do your advertisements on Twitter, uh, the thing that caught my eye was promoted tweets will be getting a big push in the next month or so. As they add promoted tweets to users' timelines instead of just having them up in search. Right now, if you search on a promoted tweet's keyword, that promoted tweet will show up at the top of the search results and it will say sponsored. Uh, if you're actually uh, in your timeline, you never see these. But apparently this is going to change. Are we, Nate, is this a good thing? We're going to see uh, advertisements in the timeline. Well, I remember, I forget which application it was that I was using. I think it might have been uh, the old Twitter app, the one that had a pro version. And if you had the free version, then you got ads appearing in your stream. And I know a few of them have been doing that. And it really, really distracts me. I hated it. I really hated it. It would have encouraged me to buy a pro version if there weren't other free versions available. But I think what's interesting here is that in this video, at the end of the presentation, um, the, the the voiceover was saying, effectively, don't be surprised if people are really angry. Um, you know, people are averse to change, especially when it comes to advertising, and this type of feedback is to be expected. You know, basically, don't worry, people will yell, but ignore it, it's a small percentage. Um, but I think there will be a number of people that that, you know, uh, will we'll be taken by surprise by these, perhaps. Um, but we'll, we will see. I, I remember when Pounce, do you remember Pounce? Yeah. I remember yeah. when they put... I Rose's thing. Yeah, when they put... And they're not around anymore, so maybe they're not the best example. But <laughs> they put uh, sponsored posts in the timeline. And I thought they did a really good job of it, where you could tell it was an advertisement, and so you could scan right past it if you needed to. Uh, yet they were relevant to what you were talking about. They never really stood out to me as being annoying. I think Twitter is good at this. They're very sensitive to this. And if they do end up putting promoted tweets within the timeline, it's going to be done in a way to minimize the impact. Yeah, and it has to be down to relevancy. These these apps are going to be successful if they are relevant, you know, and Twitter has a huge grasp, I think, or, or could have a huge grasp on what is going to be a relevant tweet to someone. There are so many services out there that will look at your last, you know, four or five days of tweets and work out what topics you're most tweeting about. And I think that, you know, if I'm only seeing tech and music tweets, uh, you know, promoted tweets showing up in my timeline, I'm not going to be that bothered. Maybe they'll be of interest. I mean, look how they do it on Gmail. They're very, very relevant ads, but most of the time they're invisible because they just sit there unobtrusively on the side. And as you know, I think that if I'm getting tech ads popping up, you know, for a new tech service that I might be interested in because I've been tweeting so much about technology, that's not going to be as disruptive to me as if I get adverts for Justin Bieber 3D movies, which would make me leave Twitter. So... <laughs> 
you know, it's all going to be down to relevancy. So you just want how... Justin Bieber 2D movies? <laughs> I just want him to be put into a cage and thrown out of the country, uh, of, the, of the Earth. But that's a story. <laughs> Extradited. <laughs> yeah, let's extra him to the moon. He can be the first man on the on Mars and tell if his, if he can survive. But you know what I mean. I think that <laughs> he's, he's a gonna nice be down to... kid. Wow, that's so mean. He, he's a, he's a <laughs> child. You guys are being really mean. I, yeah, I, I, I went to, I went to Six but... Flags in LA um, probably about a year ago, and I guess it was Justin Bieber Day. He was there, <laughs> and I was waiting like to get on the Dragon Roller Coaster, and they shut the whole thing down. There's like two sides to get on. They're just like, oh, Justin's Be- Justin Bieber's here. We got to shut the whole thing down, and and I was just so pissed. There were like little kids around me that like for the first half hour, we're like, oh my God, Justin Bieber's here, where is he? And then the second half hour after he rides and then quickly exits the park, they're like, I hate you, Bieber. You made me wait to get on my coaster. <laughs> Lesson being, don't make people this, wait to ride rides. Nate, are you this are you just can... mad at Bieber's hair? No, I knew that would come up. Every time I'm on a, on a, on a podcast, <laughs> someone says that Bieber has my hair. Or I, I just had to address it. I don't, I I don't agree first, with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm coming for you. I had I'm it first. <laughs> All right. Uh, really interesting articles in paid content and uh, the MIT Technology Review about whether there is a dot-com bubble again. Would this be bubble 2.0? I don't know. Probably. Something like that. But I want to talk about that in a second. First, let's thank our uh, sponsor, Squarespace, the fast and easy way to publish a high quality of website or blog. I use it for forecast. I use it for sword and laser. Uh, if you want to have a good-looking blog that is easy to update and easy to design, that you don't have to worry about whether the resources are going to be there to serve it. If you suddenly get a spike in traffic, you want to try out squarespace.com. It is really the easiest way to put together a good-looking website, especially if you don't know anything about design like I do. They have templates in there. They've got hundreds of templates that you can pull in, tweak to your heart's content, change the colors, move a few things around. Boom, you have a well-designed-looking blog. Uh, And if you are an expert, if you know how to tweak CSS and really make stuff look good, if you've got an eye for that, you can do that too. It's the best of both worlds. Uh, And you can Try it out absolutely free for 14 days by going to squarespace.com slash twit. Now, one of the coolest things about this, they have all kinds of modules like a Flickr module, a Twitter widget, those sorts of things to you know bring in the social element, bring in other elements like Google Maps. Uh, but one of the coolest modules is the import module. So if you want to try it out for free, I suggest, especially if you have a blog already, you take your WordPress, your blogger, your movable type, your typepad blog, and you import it into Squarespace and mess around with it, see what it looks like. If you like the way it looks, you keep the service. If you don't, you can export your data right back out. Uh, it's, it's, it's really no risk to try it out. So why not give it a try? Sign up for a free account. You don't need a credit card or anything like that. Just go to squarespace.com slash twit and try out for 14 days for free. We thank Squarespace for their support. Okay, the second dot-com bubble may be underway. Dominic Rush uh, of The Observer has a... Uh, has a Pretty interesting article up on paid content today, uh, pointing out some of the different people who are looking about this and talking about this. Alan Patrick, co-founder of Broadsight, a consultancy group for technology, uh, says we are at the beginning of another bubble. A bubble is defined by too much money chasing assets, greater production of those assets than is needed to find a greater fool to buy them. And uh, he's got 10 telltale signs that a bubble is being blown up. So let me know what do you think? Tell me if you think uh, we are seeing these signs. 
One is the arrival of a new thing that cannot be valued in the old way. Dumb money companies start paying over the odds for new thing acquisitions. Facebook, mm. Twitter. Facebook's value is somewhere uh, between Ford's and Visa's right now. Well, well Facebook look at Ford. Really That's the not one. the most valuable company out there. It's not the most, <laughs> but you know these are these are established companies. With Ford, you can't say Facebook is not an established company. I mean, in in all these companies that we're seeing inflated, supposedly inflated, that I I don't know anything about stocks, so don't blame me if you do something silly. But um, if of all these companies, certainly Facebook has the most potential. I mean, it's a gigantic opportunity that may, now maybe people are going to invest, and in the end, it's gonna it's gonna crash somehow. But Facebook, you can't say it's not a legitimate investment, a, a legitimate bet that you can make on the future. It's an enormous opportunity. The other ones, not so sure about, but uh, Facebook has value. That's for sure. Facebook says it's been profitable since 2009, so it's obviously not, you know, a junk business. But um, I think the worry uh, once or if they even go public is um, how overvalued this stock will be during the IPO. I mean, you can already look on the second market and see, you know, astronomical valuations for Facebook. And we, we don't really know anything about their financials, so it's hard to say if it's warranted. The uh, technology review article on, that is similar to this uh, by Christopher Mims points out that one of the problems with this is is the expansion of the freemium model. And they, this article calls it a rounding error, that right now we just don't have a way to charge for very small amounts. So companies are forced to round down to free, but there is only a certain amount of ad dollars out there. So we have too many companies chasing ad dollars, and nobody can make enough money off that because... There, there isn't any money circulating around. Companies don't advertise on each other. Uh, there's, there's a limit to the pool. Unlike if you, if you create a physical product, then you've got a supply chain and, and money starts to circulate in its own microeconomy. Hmm, it's, I, I, I think there is a difference. You know, it's hard to quantify or, or detail exactly, but I do think there is a difference between the original dot-com bubble and this and this inflation maybe of the value because in the original one it really seemed like an Im enormous gold rush where you know people thought there was going to be gold but in the end it was not really exactly what they thought it would be and it, they were a little bit early to the party um i think it was mark cuban who was saying something about this saying it's not uh what was he saying it's not a bubble it's a pyramid scheme yeah it's it's a bunch of vcs it, betting that it's you know other vcs are going to be valuing the company that and then they'll be able to cash out their investment with the other vcs before it all yeah. goes broke it it doesn't seem like you know everyone is going completely nuts it's a, you know maybe 5 to 10 companies that are getting a huge value it's not like everyone in the, is is buying a dot com you know domain name for 15 million it, it's a few things that seem like they do have value maybe they're being over you know valued but they, there is still something there it feels different from the the original dot com boom it's it's way more than a, a few things i mean you, you look at the uh, the portfolios of some of these vc firms they just invest, you know, insane millions of dollars in these absolutely no-name companies. They made investments like five years ago in companies you still haven't heard of. But I agree with you that I think the big difference is going to be um, the difference between the last dot-com uh, bubble and if this one bursts is that 
this time it's going to be a lot of rich VCs losing their money rather than, you know, the average person who decided to invest in uh, pets.com. Right. Mm -hmm. So do you think it would have less of a wide reaching reaction than the dot com? I mean, we're not. We're not seeing nearly as many IPOs as we saw in the late 90s. I mean, Pan- Pandora is the big one, and we're going to have LinkedIn. And, you know, that that's that's only two of out of, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Groupon and all these giant companies that uh, I'm sure, you know, people buying into the hype would love to invest into. But, um, you know, the VCs have a stranglehold on all of the uh, hot companies. And it also feels like all of this is, co- is concentrated around maybe Facebook and Groupon, which are getting insanely, you know, getting a valuation that grows by the day. But, and and it, it feels like, maybe I'm wrong, but a lot of people are seeing this and are thinking, okay, I can't get in on Facebook. I need something else. Let's try buying something. So when Facebook finally does go uh, public, 2012 probably, then everything is sort of going to settle down a little bit it it, i don't know it doesn't seem as crazy as it was yeah i think maybe facebook and twitter are the wrong ones to look at because even if they are overvalued they are still valuable companies they're very popular they have business models you can you can pick at them but they they do have business models the ones that mark is talking about are the concern where people are like oh well that person used to work at groupon or used to work at facebook and now they have this idea and they come in with a powerpoint presentation and that's all they've got (laughs) and they get you know a couple of several million dollars to go start something up with no idea whether this is going to actually take off or not and, and the question is, I, I think we are seeing a bubble. I think we absolutely are. When you start to have people saying, are we seeing a bubble? And you have a bunch of experts saying, no, we're not seeing a bubble. You've got a bubble. Oh, I mean, we've, we've seen, we saw that in the dot-com. We saw that in the housing market. We're seeing it now with social networks. The question is, how big and how serious? And I, right. think, I think that's where it may differ in that, you know, uh, what you brought up, Mark, is, is, is exactly right. It may only have a limited impact and it may burst faster than you thought. And the thing is, everyone is saying, are we getting a second dot-com bubble? And that is in itself, it implies something comparing it to the dot-com bubble that is sort of a, a deception in itself. You know, that's what I'm, I'm trying to get at, I guess. I think the business models sound the same. Everybody chasing ad dollars that aren't don't quite exist out there. I mean, granted, ad you know advertising on the web has has grown immensely from what it was ten years ago. But uh, it seems everybody's business model is you know we're just gonna go for uh, go for scale as they say and get a ton of users and then we'll throw ads on and we'll find something to do. Yeah, I think that's where this technology review article is is really interesting. It's, it points out. Advertising spending may go up, but the pool of money remains fixed. Unlike, say, Henry Ford, Larry and Sergey, and here I'm quoting, aren't actually building anything that can be monetized beyond the attention economy. Paying their workers more won't give them more time to look at more ads. And even if it did, it would just dilute the value of each of those ads, as has already been happening as the pool of online ads continues to grow. So you've got a different dynamic in that situation. Now, they, they this argument goes on to argue that micropayments are the things that will become meaningful and that will help us monetize the attention economy directly rather than relying on ads. I'm not sure if that'll ever happen. 
Yeah. Well, Facebook's experimenting with the um, the Facebook credits, which I think is really interesting because they get to keep a 30% cut of transactions made with Facebook credits. And when you think about, you know, the five, 600 million people using Facebook, you know, even if only a very small number of those are using these Facebook credits, it's a non-advertising based revenue stream that they're getting for basically not doing anything. You know, they've, they've got all these people, that job's done. All they do is let people build things on their platform and they take a 30% cut of these credits that are being that are going through their system. And, you know, when you've got that many people using things like Farmville and, you know, all these all these daft games, then, um, you know, that could become quite a, quite a profitable part of their business. I mean, it's still very limited at the moment, of course, but... Um, I saw the first Facebook credits card actually in a, in a game shop just yesterday, you know, actually hanging on a shelf, Facebook credits, 10, 20 pounds. And, you know, that was the first time that I've really ever seen something like that, you know, in, in the real world um, on the scale of Facebook. Which is why I was saying Facebook is a special case in all of these, you know, companies we're talking about. Facebook is really the one that could generate something really, you know, it, it, it's the one where the value could be could come from somewhere else. I don't think what you're saying, which is true, applies to all the other ones, which is a concern. All right, let's uh, take a quick break before uh, we get to Apple rumor time. Those of you who don't like Apple rumors, I've consolidated them all into one Easily fast forwardable segment. We'll get to that. Oh, good. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but first of all, Leo is here, sort of, uh, to tell you about Go to My PC. Thank you for letting me interrupt this fine conversation. I'm going to be back next week, but uh, I'm still away. I, uh, I'm having, I'm sure, a good time on the cruise. But before I left, I thought I'd leave you this message. If you're seeing this now, I am dead. But I would like to bequeath to you, Tom Merritt, the entire... No. <laughs> I do want to do that, though. I got the idea from Demon, right? <laughs> if you are watching this video, something horrible has happened. Now, if you're watching this video, it's because uh, the, the twits are off having a smoke while we talk about go to my PC. See, as I travel all around... I use go to my PC because it lets me access my system at home and at work. I have it on several systems. I could do everything I could do uh, if I were sitting there, but I'm not. You know, someday we're going to have it so I could be on a cruise and I'll actually be here uh, doing this. Now, that would be cool. Not enough bandwidth on the cruise to do that, but believe it or not, even with this in, with a satellite, the marine satellite that they use, go to my PC works fine. It's kind of amazing. It's because the folks at Citrix are geniuses with remote access. They, they practically invented the category. And they do all sorts of interesting, you know, screen vector and stuff to, to really reduce the amount of bandwidth needed to give you an almost real-time update. That means you can run any program, access any network resource, get anything done, send and receive email as if you're at work. Tom, if you get an email from me this evening <laughs> at five in, 5 in the morning and it's, it looks like it came from the cottage, you'll know I've been using Go to my PC. How often, you know, do you, you know, our jobs aren't nine to five. How often do you get an idea in the middle of the night and you'd love to go into work and work on something? But no, all you do is go to your computer at home and, uh, or your laptop and there it is, just like you're there. Or clear that email out. If, when, you, when you take a three-day weekend and you come back to 3,000 messages, don't do that. Work whenever you're inspired or motivated. Work whenever you feel like it, not when you're sitting at the computer. Pardon me. I was so happy I had to play the guitar. 
You're going to love Go To My PC if that's how you like to work. If you like to be creative at all hours of the day or night, go to mypc.com slash twit right now. Take you 30 seconds to install it. You can even do it while I'm talking. And uh, once you have it on the system, anywhere you go, anywhere you can get online, you can access your computer, send and receive email, access any network, resource, run any program, work when the mood strikes you, not when you're... Th- you, you know what they say? They say work isn't a place you go anymore. It's what you do. It's what you, you know, and one hopes it's what you love. You don't have to go to work anymore. You just use go to my PC. Go to mypc.com slash twit. I think there's a pina colada waiting for me poolside, so I'm going to leave you guys now. Back to Tom Merritt and the Twits. Tom, over to you. Thank you, sir. We miss you. Please come back. Please. <laughs> he had this weird look at like his wife. plea of, of a temporary host. I did. Uh, I, I, asked, I said, you are coming to... back, right? And he had this weird look in his eye when he left. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't leave me with her. <laughs> I'll, I'll be back. No problem. He's, uh, he's, Twitter, he's on Twitter talking about the Peru shakedown right now. Well, he's also also talking about the fact that we had to turn off the Twit live stream on Roku uh, because it was costing us too much. It's a thousand dollars a week in bandwidth Ooh. costs. Uh, but yeah, he said uh, that his wife paid airport tax, but Leo hadn't. He had to pay thirty one dollars to get to his airport gate. <laughs> I've never I've never had to pay a, an airport tax, but I've never been to Peru, so maybe that's just a thing there. Oh yeah, Mexico does that too. Yeah, yeah. Now I have. No, I'm sorry, not Mexico. It was um, the Dominican Republic. Oh, I haven't been there. Okay. Yeah. Little airport tax. <laughs> I have, I have paid the uh, the bridge tax. They're actually talking about turning on. This is this is an interesting local story. They're talking about turning off the uh, the or or getting rid of the toll takers on the Golden Gate Bridge, and just replacing it, making it entirely electronic. And if you uh, if you go through without the fast track transponder, they'll scan your license plate and then send you a bill. What about <clears throat> tourists? They will scan their license plates and send them a bill. So to the car renting company. If you're a tourist, yeah, and then the car rental company has to has to either pay it or pass it along to uh, to the to the person who rented the car. Sounds horribly complicated. I say. <laughs> There's going to be a big business in little black shrouds for people to put over their license plates. <laughs> right as you get on the or, bridge. Or Batman they car have- like uh, devices that will make them spin when you go through the toll <laughs> thing. I've heard they have those like camera scramblers. You can put like a film over your license plate oh, right. and then yeah, if the camera yeah. tries. Yeah. So the, those will probably uh, be a big business. It'll be the next big bubble. There'll be, there'll, be, there'll be people spend, offering to spray the that on your plate license plates right, right as you get onto the Golden Gate Bridge. All right, uh, Apple rumor time. Uh, we're we're going to put them all, I don't want to say ghetto-wise them all, but there were a lot of Apple rumors. There's always a lot of Apple rumors, but there are a lot of Apple rumors uh, this week. The, the most credible one, the only one really worth talking about, in my opinion, is that we're going to see new Apple laptops because it's been long enough that it's about time to see a real refresh of the MacBook Pro line. Uh, Best Buy has been adding new Apple laptop SKUs to its system. Uh, all the, the supply leaks that you get out of Digitimes and other places like that are saying, yeah, it looks like uh, Sandy Bridge, MacBook Pros, coming down the pike march 1st is one date that has been bandied around but then sandy bridge has had issues with uh with the chipset the cougar point chipset so that 
if you were using more than two SATA ports, you you'd have you'd have problems. I don't know if MacBook Pro would be able to work around that or not. Uh, I think they wouldn't use more than two anyway, so they should be fine. Yeah, they probably would be able to be fine. But I'm dying. I'm dying for a new Mac. Maybe I just want this rumor to be true because uh, Martha Jones here, my MacBook Pro is uh, over two years old now, and I don't. Did you name your MacBook Pro? I name all my computers. You don't name oh, them. Okay. Well, you- I, I think I've got the same model that you've got, Tom, because my my MacBook Bell Dandy is uh, about two years old as well. I mean, she's still running like a beast. She's great. I'm sorry. What was uh, your What was your MacBook's name? Bell Dandy. Bell Dandy. Uh, it's a character from an anime called Oh My Goddess. I name right. all my um, tech products after anime characters. And, um, you know, th- this thing's still going really well. I mean, I've got a new hard drive in there. I've got four gigs of RAM instead of the two that it came with. Um, but, you know, it's still running nicely. But I'm, I'm kind of excited about a new one because I need another reason to spend money that I don't need to spend. I'm about to spend it on a, one of those 600Ds from Canon. Um, and after that, I'm going to need something else to waste money on. And a new MacBook Pro would be good because mine's still the MacBook. It doesn't have the Pro bit. It was just oh, really? before they, okay, yeah. Yeah, they changed them to Pro. Mine's so an mine actual MacBook still, Pro. It's a 15-inch MacBook Pro. Oh uh, yeah, mine was one of the the MacBooks, but um, so I'm kind of excited about that. And I've I've got friends in um, in some of the retail stores that have said that their stock is drying up completely, and not just of the MacBook Pros, but of iPads as well. One of the one of the stores, um, he was saying that they have about ten iPads left in the entire store, uh, and also that um, there's a rumor going around as well that Mobile Me is going to go free. And apparently, every day in the store, they have a um, kind of a, a, a keynote of how many mobile me's and everything that they have to sell that day as a target and mobile me has now been struck off the target so they no longer have a target for how many mobile me subscriptions to sell every day uh which again supports the rumor that that it's about to go free or at least that they're not bothering they're not caring that it's um you know that uh, about who's paying for it anymore that's a good indication. Did you guys see yeah. that uh, confessions of a Apple Store employee over uh, last week? Yeah, that, was, that great... was funny and freaky at the same time. <laughs> great story. But one of the tidbits from there is that you know, Mobile Me is like they they push all of their uh, all of their sellers in the store to push Mobile Me just because it's such a wildly profitable product. So well, what he was what he was saying was that he he managed to push um, uh, Apple Care really easily mm-hmm. because it's a great yeah. product, but that no one was buying Mobile Me. Uh, it was really difficult to sell. Yeah, well, every every sort of retailer has those key add-ons, like they'll sell warranties or some type of like yeah. trade-in membership or something. I worked at GameStop many years ago. It was awful. I don't want to talk about it. I'm sorry, <laughs> but <laughs> but. Um, but yeah, so so Apple's add-ons are Apple Care, the warranty program, uh, and uh, Mobile Me. So thankfully, Mobile Me will no longer be pushed on me at the register there. Right. What what I was getting at was that uh, Mobile Me, if it's not you know making being really popular in the stores or anywhere, maybe it would make sense to for one of the many reasons that it would make sense for it to become free. Um, and this is also a super exciting rumor, which might be true because we've been hearing about that new data center forever, and it's sitting there ready, and it's it's not being used for anything. So maybe that fable locker in the sky where you can put all your music and everything um will finally happen and mobile me will sort of will will transform uh in a way into a media uh streaming service that's a little bit pie in the sky though 
Well, that's not as pie in the sky as a cult or nine to five max story that an Apple television is in the works, not just Apple uh-huh. TV. This now, J- I remember Jason Calcanis predicted this maybe two years ago. That yeah, Apple, I Apple wrote television a story about it. Yeah, that was I, I wrote that for Cena, and this has just been going along for so long. And he was convinced; he was absolutely convinced that you know this was in the works and it was happening, and it never has. And it's always seemed like as long as Apple TV is a standalone product, then how could you convince someone to buy a dedicated Apple TV unless there was something in it that massively differentiated it from just a regular TV that would arguably cost less than one Apple made uh, with an Apple TV connected to it um but yeah i mean well nine nine to five mac bases their story on a job posting uh the position primarily involves high density offline power supply development for macintosh notebook computers desktop computers servers standalone displays and tv yeah, and you know, right. what? I just you know, think I think that TV is is Apple TV. Yeah, I think so I too. think it's so non-specific. I think it is a huge extrapolation. If you know, to assume that that means a TV set as opposed to a TV-based product. I mean, there's no mention in there of you know set-top box. You know, which I think would make sense if uh, if that's what they're, they're referring to Apple TV as. This is just TV. This could just as easily be an Apple TV or, you know, the streaming TV service rentals, that sort of thing, or AirPlay. Um, it has no suggestion for me that this means a, a physical TV product. No, I think, it, I think it's, right. you know, the, uh, it, it, if anyone farts the wrong way on the Apple campus, then someone is going to interpret it as being, you know, having. There's no wrong way, product. Patrick. <laughs> I can assure you there is. Um but but I, I I'm I think there might be an Apple TV in the works. Uh you know I'm sure they're experimenting with a lot of different kinds of products, but I can't see them actually coming out with a TV until they crack the formula for the Apple TV as a, you know, as an an, an add-on unit thing to connect to your TV or at least there has to be something more than what they have now with the Apple TV because it's not it's just, you know, not selling that well. And it's I can't see a TV with just that service that would be that much of a value added for Apple to sell more than but any what other. What if it has a retina display with explosions? <laughs> <laughs> you mean magical explosions? Retina display. And a micro bezel. As long as they're magical and, and revolutionary, then yeah, maybe. Uh, I think a, a, a more uh, we didn't get a whole lot of app iPad rumors uh, this week. Although we're pr- pretty sure that an iPad announcement is not too far off. Uh, but the other rumor that kicked around was the continuing rumor about a iPhone Nano. Uh, New York Times said that Apple is considering a cheaper iPhone, but not a smaller one. So they've, they've got their own sources contradicting Bloomberg and Wall Street Journal sources. Although I have to say the New York Times rumor sounds more credible to me, which is the idea that maybe there's, there was a rumor last week that the iPhone, the next iPhone would be 4.3 inches. Maybe all it means is that they sell the current iPhone 4 at a cheaper price and it's the small iPhone because it's not 4.3 inches. Yeah, I think that's quite likely. Like at the moment, you've got the 3GS that I know. I think in the US you can buy for about ninety nine dollars. Is that right? I, I think, think it's, it's down to fifty dollars now at certain places. Fifty dollars. You know that is that is your entry level. You know, Apple products. If you if you want to get into the iOS world, that's kind of what you should go for. Um, and I, I I can't see them making a smaller one necessarily. I mean, I don't know. Sorry, someone it's, is. Uh, 
breaking into this office by the sounds of it. Who knows? <laughs> Let us know. So blink blink twice if you're okay. I'm okay at the moment. It was an ominous creak. T turn the camera around. We want to make sure. <laughs> oh, we're okay. We're okay. All right. Everybody, everybody um, Nate's okay. Okay. Um, you know, with these rumors, I mean, especially now, we it's just like uh, uh, we need... A, a keynote presentation because people are going insane. I mean, I'm convinced that even Apple is going throwing out some rumors, you know, uh, giving tips to shady journalists so that we are so confused with all the rumors. Anything could be true at this point. If, if they announce that Apple is working on some kind of car, I would, you know, it would be as believable as some of the ones we've been hearing. It, we can't know anything about all this. Well, yeah, and then that's the an interesting thought that their new strategy would be to just throw as many rumors into the mill as possible. Because their old strategy, I was reading a, a profile on Nick DePlume the other day, the guy who ran Think Secret. So the old strategy was they'd just sue these guys who were breaking all the rumors and send cease and desist notice. So when that didn't work, that would be interesting if they would just like throw as much junk into the pile as possible to, to overload everybody. Down at like half it, 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 in an unmarked building at half infinite loop. <laughs> a small group works on manufacturing rumors. <laughs> well, it's it's a, how many of these have we seen? I mean, it's a it's a small iPhone with no bezel, and then no, it's a little bit bigger, and then it's a small iPad, and it's a big iPod, and it. How many of these do we have to hear before we're completely confused? I know that I can't believe anything anymore. Well, and then there's patent filings, which are always misleading because anybody Total can try file a patent on on anything it doesn't mean they're coming out with a product there's an apple patent for an ipod ipad smart bezel there's an apple patent for longer life batteries uh those those patents are almost always worth ignoring because they rarely turn into a substantial feature in a product and even when they do it's it's usually years down the line i agree 100 percent like reading i've I, I say we put an end to patent reporting. Marking the flag right now. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's it's tech, it's tech porn. It's like you're reading it and yeah. you're like, oh, that would be awesome, and it, it doesn't amount to anything. Still got to go to patently Apple though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, I'm going to, for the video version. I'm waving my hands to indicate the end of the Apple rumors. Um, <laughs> on the audio version, you'll just have to blindly. Go. I, I, some people write in, they're like, why are you apologizing? These are perfectly important to, yeah, I like to hear about them all that. But there, there are people who get really vociferously angry because there are so many Apple rumors. I, I, I can kind of understand it. Still worth I think it. I'm more in that camp. Yeah. You get, you get yeah. angry. It just gets under your skin. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I think they're ridiculous. All right. Let's, uh, let's <laughs> move. <sighs> yes, Patrick. <laughs> no. Okay. I'm shutting up. Sorry. Do you have another rumor to share, now? Patrick? No, I was just going to say that I also love Apple. I have an iPhone, an iPad, a MacBook. I, I love them. I'm getting sick of the rumors too. Go. So yeah, I think that I think that speaks for speaks volumes right there. Google, <laughs> Best Buy, Sony, Mitsubishi, Sage TV, Negra Vision. What do all these companies have in common? They are now part of the Allvid Tech Company Alliance, asking the. FCC here in the United States uh, to help move ahead with a proposal for the all-vid standard. And what that would be, tell me if this sounds familiar to you guys, a box that combines both your 
over the air, your cable, and your internet video in one interface and one connection that you can buy yourself without having to go through the cable company. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So make hmm. that official and you've got the Google TV. Because the Google TV actually <laughs> does root your existing connection through the box and then adds in internet video. Thing is, it's not official. It's not compatible with that cable TV. So there's a little bit of wonkiness with how it works. Uh, but all of it is sort of what the FCC is moving towards in, uh, as a successor to, to the cable card standard. The cable card standard was meant to make it so that you wouldn't have to rent your box from the cable company. You would just go buy a box like a TiVo and, and buy whatever box you want. And there would be competition. And then you'd just put your cable card and you'd be able to get uh, your cable television that way. Uh, that did not work out so well. So this is Why the not? next effort here. You know, Google Why TV hasn't worked work out, out so well either. Not yet. Has so it? we'll no. see where this goes. I was. Wait, wait a second. Why did the cable uh, card did not work out in the first place? Uh, there are there are myriad reasons. Uh, two of the biggest are the cable companies sort of dragged their heels in compliance. They say it was just technical issues, but the ability to get a cable card was hard in the early days. It's much easier now. Uh, the devices never appeared that, that utilized cable card. And probably one of the biggest reasons was even when you got cable card and put it in the device that you wanted, uh, it didn't have all the features. It didn't support things like video on demand, uh, pay-per-view, uh, certain other features that the cable companies had added. So the cable companies have pushed true two-way as a new f- standard, but that isn't a card. That's something that has to be built into the device itself. So is this going to be any different? Well, this wouldn't be any different as far as being a card, but it would have Internet companies involved. So, And, th- and this is why the National Cable uh, Alliance, the NCTA, says we don't like this at all uh, because it actually puts the Internet video competing right next to cable television on the same box. Which is the same reason none of the cable companies or the networks like Google TV because you can just as easily surf to their websites before they block them and watch free programming on demand. Uh, I don't think this is going to... I think this has a long road and many obstacles ahead of it. Well, yeah, the NCTA is going to fight tooth and nail to stop this from becoming a standard. And so even if they were to prevail... I mean, you got some firepower here with Sony and uh, TiVo and, and Google... Uh, but even if they were to prevail, by the time they were able to clear all the hurdles and fight all the battles, I think things are going to have moved on. We'll be watching holograms by then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, what's ridiculous about this to me is the consumers win, right, every time. Look at music. The consumers said we don't want DRM on our music. We want to be able to do whatever we want. And the music companies for a decade tried to punish the people who were doing things right without ever really harming the pirates until they finally gave in, abandoned DRM. Did, DR, did abandoning DRM save the music industry? Arguably not. We haven't seen sales skyrocket, but it also didn't kill the music industry. We haven't seen a significant damage from piracy increase since they abandoned DRM. So the video industry is busy making all the same mistakes that the music industry made and backing into the future, trying to preserve this old model uh, and, and they're getting their lunch eaten. So they, they're battling things like this, which arguably they should just be trying to put their video out in as many places as possible and having people able to watch it and monetizing the eyeballs. 
It's easier said than done, though. Amen. They should put you in charge. <laughs> uh, you don't want that. Tom Merritt for president. I don't want to be in charge. I just want to watch my video. I, I just want to not have to hook up my gateway computer to my television to use Chrome to stream NBC.com because they blocked it on Google TV, which also Merritt, uses Chrome. You don't, you don't choose your calling. Your country needs you. <laughs> Step up. <laughs> France needs me? Oh, your not your country, my country. Your no, my country. Well, actually, we could probably do with merit also. Would you mind coming help us Tom out? Merit, when King you're of the done world. With the... No, <laughs> I would mind. I like I like being oh, damn it. over here off the radar. Just just so you know. I don't. I. I Are you saying you don't like France? Off the radar on video in front <laughs> Sorry, of thousands go, of people. Let's go back to cable card. <laughs> I. I. But you know, I mean, that's it's. It's just. It's just ridiculous. We are going to have the ability to stream every television show we want in full on the internet. It's going to happen. It's all just the painful process of making it happen. So it's frustrating to watch this. I understand the difficulties. I understand why they can't just flip a switch and do it. But when you know that it's technologically possible and you know that it's going to happen, no matter, you know, whether it's all just a matter of how long it takes to figure it all out, it gets frustrating to watch. That's all. Did you see that uh, that video about, uh, I think it was a PR agency or something that uh, tried giving six different families uh, a different box, like yes. an Apple TV, a TiVo, and that, that was eye-opening, right? Because they that there is such a difference between having an actual cable box or TV where you can flip a switch and have something on and all of these these different boxes where you have to actually i'm not even talking about the complexity of installing it just having to choose your program is something that is really difficult for normal people so i can understand how you know we can feel uh, just put everything on the internet and just you know let us watch it and how these guys are saying are, are saying it doesn't really work as well but so. it, it could i mean it could very easily if i just took my uh my linear channel and streamed it on the internet it would be the it would overcome that that obstacle because what they were yeah, saying is i don't want to have to think about what to watch at every given moment i want to be able to just turn it on and and kick back and that's easily done it's not like the internet yeah. prevents you from doing that no no you're you're right again tell me get get it get him in charge <laughs> <laughs> now somebody needs to be in charge of tivo in the uk and apparently it's virgin uh tivo is going to remove their online guide, you know, they're over the the internet guide service from TiVos on as of June first. So any TiVo that you have will be essentially bricked after that point because if you don't have guide data, then you can't schedule anything to record. I mean, I guess you can. You can go and schedule it by time, uh, but it becomes almost useless. However, uh, you can get a new TiVo from Virgin. After that point, and they are going to give away a thousand free TiVos. Yeah, well, the, the background take care being that, in the that Virgin. The background there being that TiVo recently signed one of the biggest partnership deals it's ever done with Virgin. Um, so now they're trying to make good on their promises. It looks like. Yeah, I'm not, not Virgin's not a great best way friend to thank customers. Anyway, I have I have Virgin at home, and the reason that I'm here in the office at midnight is because I have no internet at home. Um, but regardless, um, th this is an interesting one because TiVo um, hasn't really been a big deal in the UK 
kind of ever. Uh, I think he's kind of a, uh, you know, a hangover from uh, several years ago before Virgin even had cable. They bought a cable company and it became Virgin Media. And I think it was the cable company before that that introduced the TiVo service. Um, and at the moment, I don't really know what TiVo gives you over their standard DVR, which I actually quite like. Um, I've never used a TiVo in my life because um, we've never really had it here ever. Um, what, what is it that, that this offers better than sort of a standard DVR? So I interviewed uh, TiVo CEO at CES actually, and uh, I asked him the same thing, and he, he didn't, you know, he struggled to find an answer a little bit. But no, uh, their, their big uh, positioning factors is that uh, design, they think they have a very well designed uh, interface. And the other being that they're actually pulling in internet content from a lot of different sources, whereas the um, uh, carrier-issued boxes generally don't do that. So they're okay, well, they're using the TiVo Premier's internet functions as like the differentiating factor that we have like all this other content as well. Well, the Virgin's normal box at the moment um, will give you access to all these on-demand services. You know that you can you can schedule them to record and you can record entire series but then you've got things like bbc iplayer and you know all the networks here have their own on-demand services which you can stream um you know down onto the box i don't quite understand what the big deal is about tivo i'd love someone to tell me what it is because it sounds like it's a big deal um but i don't know well that's not the news here is it the news is that the old service is getting killed off and people are going to have to buy a new one well it is um, it is interesting to know like in a world where tivo is universally lauded as the prime example of what a DVR should be, do they really have that much of an advantage anymore? It used to be that if you didn't have a TiVo, you had a really horrible interface uh, that was super buggy, either from your satellite system or your cable system or whatever you were viewing. These days, that gap has been closed. I mean, TiVo probably still is the best, but not nearly by as far as they used to be. So they have to tout their advantages like, well, you can subscribe to podcasts. Uh, on TiVo and we have on-demand video and we have special video that's delivered over the internet that you can't get anywhere else uh, and they have become more of a box for internet video they've become sort of like Allvid which is why they're part of that Allvid uh, consortium in that they provide internet video alongside your television uh, content which most of the other DVRs don't because they're from the cable companies and the satellite companies. Uh, well, in that case I guess that TiVo if, it, if it's going to do something needs to do a lot more than what the Virg the current Virgin Plus HD box, whatever it's called, um, will do. Because the only thing really for me that it's missing, and I don't watch that much live TV anyway, but the only thing that this is missing is is something like podcasts. And that's not necessarily, I think, you know, a big enough deal for the majority of people out there, sort of average consumers, to want to upgrade to. Um, Ouch, take that, yeah. Twit. <laughs> no, you know what I mean, though. Like, no. If I was saying this to my mum... You know, I, I wouldn't yeah. sell her on a TiVo because she can podcast. It would sell it to me. Absolutely, it would sell it to me. But, you know, to the average guy in the street, not necessarily. No, but the thing is they don't have to do that much more because if I understand the agreement they made with Virgin correctly, it's that they 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 replace Virgin's um, default box. So if you sign up for Virgin, you get a TiVo. So all they, you know, all they have to do is keep doing what they're doing and make sure it was better than the older model. And uh, people will get these boxes by default. But was, was there a replacing it, then that's fine. Was there a reason to to brick everybody's old TiVos, though? I just don't understand why why that would be necessary. Well, it's very much a legacy service, and I guess if you want to, you know, upsell from 
you know, a product that a few people are still using from a time when your company wasn't even the company it is now because you bought it, um, you know, then getting rid of it and just upselling at a good deal is probably better for everyone. I mean, you know, there comes a point where we all switched off analog and there was people with analog TVs out there still, but we still switched them off because it's like, seriously. But it's not like they're not now. providing guide data anymore. They're just going to block these devices from accessing it. And it's something you had to pay for. But it's another service that you have to support. You know, it's another service. You have to have people on tech support know what they're talking about in case mm. grandma rings up and says, why has my TiVo that's made out of wood stopped working? You still need people to explain to them it's because it's an old box made out of wood. It's because it's and a radio, ma'am, not a TiVo. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I think there does come a point where you have to say enough's enough and just offer a good deal. And, you know, I can't, honestly, I have never met a single person who has knowingly said, I have a TiVo. I've never seen one in the UK. I don't know anyone who has one. I don't think this is a massive deal. All right. Well, there you go. It's not a massive deal. Let's move on. Last word from <laughs> Nate Langson. No, I, I, th I think you're right. I mean, it just annoys me that they would have to go and turn off something that some people paid for lifetime service uh, for these things. And I, I don't know how true that is in the UK. Maybe it's not. But, but you could in the US, you could pay for lifetime service. And it's not lifetime service if they end up turning it off. And they, and Maybe they were, they're the ones getting the free TiVos. They reserve the right to do that, I guess. No, yeah. the free TiVos, what's funny is they're not even given out randomly. They're given out to people who deserve them. Oh, maybe you're right. Maybe that's how you deserve it. You sign up for <laughs> lifetime service. By paying for it. <laughs> All right, let's take a uh, quick final break. Thank our last sponsor, audible.com. Uh, you've, you've heard us talk about Audible on Twitter before. It's, it's the best way to get audiobooks from the internet. Uh, listening to audiobooks is a great way to increase the number of books you can read, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. They also have magazines and newspapers in there as well. Uh, it makes it so much more convenient. I had to I had to drive all the way down to Mountain View, uh, which is like an hour and a half away from my house uh, on Friday. And then it took two hours to come back because of the rain. And I was able to do it sanely because I had an audiobook to listen to on the way up. Uh, Audible provides over 85,000 uh, audiobooks, um, mo almost every bestseller that you can think of. And we here on This Week in Tech can give you two free audiobooks if you're still skeptical, if you'd like to try it. Uh, great deal for people who enjoy listening to audio programming. You can get the Wall Street Journal. You can get the New York Times. Uh, that's all part of the Audible Platinum program. We're going to let you try that for free. Two free audiobooks by going to audible.com slash twit2. So get a look at it uh, right now, and I, you know, two two books. There's, it's hard to choose sometimes. Uh, right now, I'm listening to "The Shadow of the Torturer" by uh, Gene Wolfe. It's a uh, it's our fantasy pick for Sword and Laser right now. Do, do any of you guys have a uh, have a have a pick? There's a couple of other um, good ones here. I've I've been uh, the last. One that I had from Audible was uh, one of the Red Dwarf audiobooks. So for ages, they had the first one that's like the first series of Red Dwarf, uh, the sci-fi TV show for anyone who hasn't heard of it, the three of you. Um, uh, but they've recently released the uh, the most recent one, which covers like series two and three and four or season three and four. So I've been listening to, to that one, which is really good because it's read by Chris Barry, who's in Red Dwarf. I've also been, uh, uh, you know what we had, uh, we had, we have had a, uh, a, a one of the cast members of Red Dwarf on Twit. First, yeah, Robert Llewellyn. I yeah, remember. first time great. I ever uh, guest hosted Twit back when I was still working at CNET. Had Robert on. We should get him back. I want to have him on Tech News today as well. Uh, I'm sure he'd be delighted. 
Dark Tower by Stephen King. I started reading that. That's another good one because there's six books in the series, so you can kick it off by by getting the first two books, one credit each. Uh, just all kinds of great stuff to take advantage of. So check it out. Go to audible.com slash twit2. That's T-W-I-T and then the number two, and you get two free audiobooks to try out. Uh, and we thank them for their support. Did you hear about uh, President Obama visiting Silicon Valley, everybody? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Have you, have you poured over the single picture allowed out of his dinner with all the tech bigwigs? Yes. I was looking for the oversized, uh, the oversized head of Steve Ballmer and couldn't find it. No. It well, he's up, he's up in Redmond. Uh, he, these were these were all folks that are around Silicon Valley. Uh, right, on, that's why he wasn't there. On the president's right hand, Mark Zuckerberg. On the president's left hand, Steve Jobs. Let's overinterpret. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it, it, it was fascinating to look at this thing because you see Larry Ellison, you know, sitting across the table from Zuckerberg and Jobs and and Bartz, Carol Bartz is there, and just you know all the big names of CEOs of tech companies in the in the valley uh sitting around the table to me more interesting than the fact that the president was there uh, was just seeing all these people at one table i would love to be a fly on the wall to hear this conversation it's like a super group they should put yeah, out an all star cast yeah uh the only thing i've heard that actually came out of the meeting is that one man who wasn't there intel's paul odellini uh, has been named to the president's jobs council. And subsequent to that naming, Intel announced they are going to spend $5 billion on a new 14 nanometer fab in Arizona, uh, which they estimate will create 4,000 new jobs in the coming year. Yeah, why wasn't Intel invited? He like, you know, I guess they kind of blew off Intel. And then the very next day, Obama shows up at their um, their factory. And he's like, what's up, guys? Look, Paul, I'm going to give you this big announcement. I'm going to have to leave you out of the dinner. <laughs> don't we don't have a spot for you. Sorry, Paul. It'll be, it'll just, it'll do it. Just, just look to, uh, it would be giving him too much. You can either have the dinner or you can be named to the jobs council. Which one do you want? So, so <laughs> what exactly were they talking about at that dinner? Depends on who you ask. Uh, apparently the theme <laughs> of the conversation, uh, was investment they research just, and development just talking about wine i mean who knows they, they they throw out a bunch of propaganda about what they talked about all the stuff you'd expect innovation investment jobs creation all of the stuff and they probably did talk about that uh what really went on have no idea mm. this week was a lot of congressional testimony uh regarding the technology world the FBI uh, testified, General Counsel Valerie Caproni of the FBI told a congressional committee that the Bureau once expanded Internet wiretapping authority. They don't want backdoors into encryption. They would like a backdoor into Skype, but it doesn't have to be a backdoor into encryption. They say that it is harder to tap phone calls over the Internet than it is to tap phone calls over the regular wires. And this is all with warrants and everything. They're not asking for warrantless wiretapping in this case. Uh, but they are saying we don't want to repeat the mistakes of the 90s. We do not want to build in a backdoor and break encryption. I was very thankful for that statement, at least, uh, if nothing else. It, yeah, I mean, Skype, sure. I guess they could, you know, ask for a backdoor. But again, this is the same. OK, it's not encryption. 
but it's still a backdoor that could be used by other people. As long as long as you put a backdoor somewhere, you know that it's a backdoor for more than just the people who requested it. So I'm still a little bit, but I, at the same time, I understand that the you know some organizations, official organizations, are going to need a little bit more uh, than what we're used to. So I'm a little bit hesitant on this. I'm not sure I've made up my mind. Anybody else uh, concerned with that one? Before I, there, there were several other congressional committees meeting on different tech topics. The Republicans uh, voted uh, to defund. Uh, actually, House lawmakers approved an amendment. Uh, let's see. I want to make sure I get this right. Approved an amendment uh, to a wider spending bill that stated that no funds included in the bill could be used by the FCC to enforce their net neutrality regulations. Uh, the Republicans in, in, in the House of Representatives have said they will overturn the FCC's net neutrality regulations. This is the first step they've taken in that direction. It doesn't actually overturn them, though. Yeah, I'm going to have to go and be sick in the next room. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think they just need to take one issue at a time because they keep bundling all of these unrelated things together. It's like uh, ducks have to wear pants and we must respect net neutrality, like one bill. I think they just kind of like have to like tackle, you know, here's the net neutrality bill. Now let's decide on that. And then here's, you know, something unrelated with the FCC. Uh, they're just all over the place. Yeah, I, I'm, no, I'm very much for ducks wearing pants. But what if, I, what if, I'm, yeah, what if I'm not for, a net, for the network neutrality? They're guidelines. They're not regulations. They're like the pirate's code. Like the FCC is not issued. I, I mean, these things are not. They're they're in a they're in a weird place, and it, it, but the, the 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 house is gunning for the net neutrality guidelines anyway. I mean, they don't want them, right? Yeah, yeah they don't, they don't want yeah. any kind of uh, regulation. Also, Congress uh, wants to shut down rogue websites with the Combating Online Infringements and Counterfeits Act. Uh, this would allow what is already happening, actually, uh, immigration and the Department of Justice to seize domain names if a court has issued a warrant saying, uh, yes, it looks like there is infringement, copyright infringement going on here, seize the domain name. It actually doesn't take the site down. It just makes them lose their domain name temporarily. Uh, it also doesn't allow you to defend yourself. If somebody, if the Department of Justice brings this to the court and the court says yes, you don't get a chance to go, well, wait a minute, you're misunderstanding what we're doing here. Concerning? I would say trouble. Did you see that? Yeah. Did you see that? Uh, the the, the I, th I think that procedure took down what was it? Twenty six thousand sites. Eighty four thousand. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, because yeah, there was a subdomain uh, that supported eighty four thousand. So when they took down the main domain, it took down all all of the domains that were uh, relying on the subdomain as well. Not only that, but they also displayed the FBI, you know, uh, it, yeah. sign. Replicated on every single domain name, right. Yeah, a, 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 an accompanying text which was stating that that site had been taken down because it was uh, taking part in child porn or something like that. Which, you know, if your site has been taken down because of this, try and explain to your, to your consumers that you're actually not a child molester or I, it's it's just every single time these this kind of, it's again overdoing it for 
invoking some reason and then going overboard with unintended consequences. That always, always, always happens. And this seems to be another case of that. This week, computers became better at game shows than humans. Is there anything left that isn't sacred to humanity? Watson beat the snot out of Ken Jennings and Brad Rutter, two previous Jeopardy champions. Ken Jennings holds the record for most consecutive Jeopardy wins. Brad Rutter holds the record for the most amount won on Jeopardy. And Watson just beat them like a bear beats a rabbit. <laughs> Final score was $44,131 for Watson. who He doesn't even know how to spend money. Uh, $19,200 for Ken Jennings and $11,200 for Brad Rutter. Uh, and the total scores over the the two days wasn't any better. Really, really a victory for uh, IBM in showing the natural language processing of their computing platform. And I guess Watson's going to go on to uh, work with Nuance Communications, a software company that specializes in speech recognition. And a victory for Ken Jennings, who had a very funny uh, Final Jeopardy answer. I welcome our new robot overlords. Yes, exactly. Excellent. If, if nothing else, uh, Jennings got himself on the right side at the very last minute. <laughs> what I found amazing about this that I didn't find out until the other day is that Watson actually had a little robot finger. You know, right? Because little- originally, uh, originally they they ju- the computer was able to buzz in directly, but they said that's not fair. So they yeah. they created the finger, right? Yeah, the little robot finger. So he still had to physically press his robot Johnny Five hand onto a button in order to, you know, to uh, to buzz in. Which I, I, I want to see that. You know, I, that's more interesting so, to me than the screen with his kind of head thing on it. The question the becomes: robot. Can he also do other things with the finger? Like, you know, give you the finger? <laughs> well, he had one finger, so you wouldn't be able to tell if it was the middle finger or not. It's his B finger. I think we would assume it's the middle finger. Uh, You know, I thought this was really, really fun to watch. Although the the second episode, the first episode was rather close because there were a couple of of missteps by the computer in the performance of the game. But then the second episode was just a rout because because of that reaction time. What I found really interesting was that when they started, uh, IBM started taking on um, chess, it took a really long time for them to actually prevail and and beat the champions. In this instance, it was first try, there you go, we wipe the floor with you, thank you, goodbye, and that's it. That, that was sort of impressive. I didn't think they were going to get it immediately. Although it does think that uh, Toronto is in the United States. Yeah. Well, well, isn't there know, a Toronto in the United States? Isn't there a town called Toronto? Sure, yeah. No, maybe that's what it thought. Yeah, I think I think there was. And he said that uh, I was reading an interview with one of the guys on the team, and apparently uh, Watson had a 14% certainty that Toronto was the right answer. And apparently the next answer, he had a 13% uh, certainty, and that one was the right answer. So they were both incredibly low, but the one that was wrong was only slightly uh, Watson was only slightly more confident that it was right than the one that actually was right so he was almost he it was almost there <laughs> even on the last question that's how they get you nate you start to personalize them <laughs> 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 all right a few more stories before we wrap this up uh the atlantic running a uh, a story about the american civil liberties union taking up the case of a maryland man who allegedly was forced to give up his facebook password during a job interview 
with the Maryland Department of Corrections. According to a letter, the organization requires that new applicants and those applying for recertification give the government their social media account, usernames, and personal passwords for use in background checks. And what, what was the job that this guy was going for? Uh, a correctional officer, I, I assume, which would so be you know, in a prison. Something legal. Yeah, something well, in a, in a, like a prison guard. I just wonder if this is similar to how, um, I, I'm sure it's the same in the States, but in the UK, if you... Uh, if you're going for a, a job to work with children, then you have to submit to a you know a background check sure. to, to make sure that you're, you know, you haven't got any offences that that uh, could infringe on your your job or whatever. Uh, I, I wonder if this is just sort of something in the same vein as that. Um, I think it's a huge invasion of privacy, though. Well, it's, there's and- one. It's one thing to say we're going to do a background check on you. Uh, you know, please give us this information. I've had that done before. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying it's the same. I mean, it's, but it's, it's one, another thing worked, to say as part of this background check, we would like your login and password. Yeah, that's yeah. that that crosses a line for me because it's not just we're going to check your background. It's we actually want access to your account. Well, mm. it depends how deep they go with the original background check. Do they do things like, you know, check your, your tax uh, reports and your financials? Do they do your your mail, for example? Do they do they check your mail for uh, a certain period no, of they time? No, don't, they don't maybe look not at your for the mail. Correct, they can't. That's a really, that's a good, really, really good example, Patrick. Uh, on, on a background check uh, for the county of Alameda, which is the only one I have uh, experience with, in, in the state of California, uh, they would interview friends and family uh they would ask for your uh your bank account number uh and they they wouldn't ask for any special access to your bank account just just the number uh and they would ask for other information like social security number but they wouldn't they wouldn't access your mail they wouldn't open they wouldn't ask to open all of your mail and that to me is is what this is there you go they they ask your friends and family and they don't access your mail so they asked for Facebook and not Gmail. No, no, you know, no. They were just going the, to ask the, a few questions. The analog to your would be: Who are your Facebook? friends on Facebook? Uh, we would like to friend <laughs> them and 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 send them direct messages and ask them about you. Not we want to log into your account. That's more than is okay. necessary. I think. Yeah, of course. I mean, obviously, I agree. I'm just I'm just trying to make the point that um, on, you know, the initial reaction is, oh, my God, that's crazy. But maybe there are a few circumstances, maybe maybe not this one, because a correctional facility officer might not warrant this. But, you know, in the case of, I don't know, you have to work with uh, national security or, you know, the CIA, whatever. Maybe in these cases, it's warranted. That one might be a little bit extreme. My problem with that is that Giving information for a background check is one thing. Giving access to an account gives you the ability to do all kinds of things with my identity. That yeah, but how do you get to that information if you, if you don't have the, you know... I mean, really, the is there no way to get that information otherwise? Some of it's public. I don't think there is. Some of it's public, yeah, but, but most of it is replicated elsewhere. Well, well, unless they, they want to know what, what, what private, mes- private messages... But if they want to know what private messages, that's like reading mail. Yeah. They don't get to do that. They don't get to go, go look at your email. I say we put Tom Merritt in charge. He seems to know what <laughs> Stop putting me in charge. <laughs> I'm no good in charge. I'm only good filling in. No, I, <laughs> I actually agree with... Uh, I completely agree. I mean, it's definitely, you know, private information and it should not be given away carelessly and that seems like it wasn't warranted. If it can ever be warranted... This one doesn't look like it was. 
Ken from Chicago says, wait, you can keep stuff private on Facebook? <laughs> I think all, all the Department of Corrections of Maryland has to do is become an advertiser on Facebook. They get access to everything. Uh, finally, Google is working on a major overhaul of the Chrome browser that would get rid of the URL bar. Oh, hmm. my God. No, they would not do that. Well, what they would do is hide it. So it would only show up when you, like, hover over a tab. Keeps things clean. I don't know if I like this. Well, it, it takes an awful lot of space. Uh, you know, it's a whole additional line that, that you don't really use all that much. I mean, you don't, certainly don't need all that space. Uh, they, they are the people who make you argue for the number of pixels you want to put in a line if you're designing something on their website. So... I don't know. I'm I gotta say, to, I, I love the concept of the of the one bar doing the search and address bar in one, like they do in Chrome. I think it's you know I can't use any other browser on the desktop just because of that mm. single feature. Yeah, I mean, you used to, I like used to be able to do that in coming down like like how you can do that with the you know with the dock on on OS ten. You, know, you put your cursor to the screen and up comes your dock. I like the idea of that for URL bar in Chrome as long as it was just an option and not by default. People are too used now to, to seeing that URL bar would scare everybody. Scare me. <laughs> well, it's just that it just, oh it just that it goes away when you're not using it. So it cleans up the interface. So you know, but you know what? I like to see what URL I'm at. A lot of times that's telling of things. There are things in that URL. I'm, I'm probably unusual in that way. Most people don't pay any attention to it. But, I, you know. No, it, it's, it's a good point. And, and, you know, with things like making the... HTTPS a different color so you know you're in a, a secure environment as opposed to an unsecure environment or something like that. That kind of stuff is really important. And and particularly with Firefox and IE9 and, and Chrome now, that has kind of become part of your sort of uh, at-a-glance security check, or at least it has been for me. Um, so I guess you have to add something in order to deliver that same uh, sense of security. Yeah, it'll so be a Chrome speaking. extension that gives you back your URL bar. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> No, but I mean, what, what you're getting at uh, beyond the, the, the HTTPS, which is obviously very important, you're right, Tom, the, the fact that you can look at your address and make sure that you're on the right site is definitely something that I would miss if I couldn't do it. And, and I, you know, if you get a phishing email some, that somehow you click the link to, uh, then you might get on the wrong site thinking you're on the right one. The unfortunate part of that, this. which is why we have so many phishing scams, is that the average person doesn't know what to look for in the URL bar. They just click yeah. a shortened link and they get to a page that looks like their banking website and they type in some information. I think there's room to to do that better visually than the old way that we've figured out to just look at the address and say, oh, well, is this right? Oh, no, it's PayPal dot, you know, SE dot RX slash whatever. Right. <laughs> And we should be clear, to if, if some people are misunderstanding this, you would still be able to type in URLs. The URL bar would drop down when you go and highlight a tab, and you'd be able to type stuff in. It's not, it's not as bad as it might sound. <laughs> you could only click on links. That's not, that's not the way it's going to work. All right, that, I think that about does us for us. Uh, we are going to be at South by Southwest uh, starting in March uh, on Friday. We arrive, and then we start our live coverage on that Saturday. I believe it's March 12th. I, I should have had this uh, page already open, but, yeah, that's right. Saturday, March 12th, uh, 1 p.m., The Tech Guy, live from Austin with Leo Laporte. 
then our coverage starts at 4 p.m. on live.twit.tv. We'll be walking around Austin, walking around the convention center, visiting parties, very similar to what Leo did last year at South by Southwest. Starting on Sunday, March 13th, we're having a big meetup at Momo's, momosclub.com. Uh, so if you're in Austin, you don't have to be part of South by Southwest to attend. Uh, you can show up at Momo's starting as early as 1 p.m. Leo will be doing the tech guy. I'll be doing tech news today from Momo's at 4 o'clock. Uh, then this week in tech at 5 o'clock. And our meetup starts gen- immediately after that uh, at 7 p.m. Then we're off to more South by Southwest coverage uh, at various parties around there at 9 p.m. Sunday, March 13th. Also, Sarah and Leo will be recording an iPad today on Saturday. That won't be streamed live, but it, it will be put into the feed afterwards. Uh, so if you're if you're interested in what's going on at South by Southwest, watch live.twit.tv during that time. Or if you're in Austin and you'd like to come by and say hi, Sunday, March 13th at Momo's. Are any of y'all going to be in uh, Austin for South by Southwest? I wish. I will see you there. Excellent. Have they already yes. booked you on uh, on a show yet? Uh, I don't think so. Would it be on TNT? Done. Good. That was easy. All right, sweet. <laughs> uh, Nate uh, I, and uh, Patrick, I know it's far for you guys. I wish you guys could make it. That'd be great to see you there. Yeah, I, I got um, I, I got a, an invite last year, a ticket to go, and um, couldn't get there. So I should have been there. My name was on a list, but I wasn't there to tell them that was my name. It's a very sad story. Everyone should be very upset. It's a tearjerker, really. <laughs> Yeah, there's this little man with his violin waiting for me somewhere. No, I'd love to go. It sounds like a blast. And I know the parties are great and the, the networking there is fantastic. But I would love to get over some time. But this year, it is not to be. I'll be at home with my no internet. Well, you can, you can watch live.twit.tv. It'll be like you're there. <laughs> Just get yourself a bottle of, um, of light American beer and then <laughs> cozy on up to the screen and stay up really late. Like you are I right do that now. every night. That's practically what I'm doing here. I know. Only it's not beer, it's tea. <laughs> All right. Well, Nate, uh, thank you so much for, for being on the show again. Uh, wired.co.uk is your provenance. Let people know what, uh, what's going on there before we say goodbye. Uh, yeah, well, I, I guess the, the biggest thing that's going on there at the moment is that we now have a podcast, uh, which is a little podcast tab. You can click on that. And we do that once a week and get some great interviews and things there. Um, and um, I'm also on Twitter, of course, um, at Nate Langson, N-A-T-E-L-A-N-X-O-N. Uh, give us a follow and all my stuff can be found through that. Patrick Beja. Uh, you've got a, a French language tech podcast, uh, as well as several English podcasts, English language podcasts. I don't, I don't mean to insult you. Uh, <laughs> well, t- tell folks about what you're doing online. <laughs> Um, well, you can find uh, me on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, I'm not Patrick, which is very confusing. And for the shows, I guess you could go to, uh, if you like the French language, you can go to nowatch.fm, where you can find a number of French language shows. And the other ones, just, you know, through Twitter and Facebook, you'll find them. Mark Million of CNN, thank you for being with us as well. Uh, and, uh, thank you. It's you, been fun. You have something new or interesting to, that you're working on? Um, yeah, I have a story that's coming out that I've been working on for a little while on what Apple is doing with iTunes and its music. So that should be out tomorrow. CNN.com slash tech. There you go. Check it out. Thanks, everybody, uh, for watching and listening. Uh, this is my last week filling in on Twitter for Leo. He will be back in the chair on our live feed uh, for MacBreak Weekly Tuesday morning. We're very happy uh, to see him back. And, of course, he'll be back hosting Twit next week. 
with a, an all-star cast, I hear. Check it out at live.twit.tv or twit.tv slash twit. That's it for me, folks. There's a can with a twit this in it. And we're done. I, I should try the English accent, but I, I really can't. I'm going to sound incredibly um, weird. Can you do an American? I can do an American accent. <laughs> no, yeah, see, I can't. <laughs> Actually, wasn't that bad. Breaking out the redneck. Yeah, it was a good choice going southern. Uh, it hides a lot of imperfections. Actually, uh, you know, we we in France we never speak like that. It's just to give us a little je ne sais quoi for you, uh, uh, Philistine uh, Americans. <laughs>